And, okay, so this week's parsha is called Amor. Now, the reason it's called Amor is because uh, the uh, first, the right after Vayomer, Hashem El Moshe, Amor. Now, we're going to first stop for a minute and reflect on the words Amor. Amor is really part of a sentence, Amor El HaKohanim, basically... These are most of the laws that are starting off, that start off over here in this parsha, are laws that are set to the Kohanim. But yet, uh, the name of the parsha is uh, is is Amor, uh, which means it doesn't say parsha is not called Amor el Kohanim. It's just called Amor. I just want to mention also today we have we're in the month of Iyar, and. Uh, Iyar is unique in the fact that every day of the month we do a special mitzvah. Uh, it's a matter of fact, it's the only month that every single day of the month we do a mitzvah. And what is that mitzvah? Anybody want to say? What is the special mitzvah we do on the month of Counting Iyar? Counting of the Omer. Counting of the Omer. Now, we count, the, we count also the Omer on the month of Nisan and also on the month of Sivan. But the main every day of the month is the month of Iyar. Iyar is also a abbreviation of Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Aleph, Yud, Yud. And the Reish stands for Rochel. Uh, these are considered in the Kabbalah the four legs of the Merkava, of the chariot. Uh, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Rochel. Um, the... Uh, month of Iyar, as we had spoken last week, is also an abbreviation of Ani Hashem Rofecha, I God uh, your healer. Uh, we are presently in a very difficult time, but, you know, in everything uh, we have to be strong and we have to stay um, encouraged and, uh, and, and hope and Mitzvah uh, Shem that, uh, you know, things will uh, turn out for the best. Um, Naim? I'm right here. Can you check with Nancy? I mean, usually she comes. I can send her a separate invitation to invite her. See if she wants to come in. If she's stuck or somebody's stuck, then... Okay. I, I want to learn first today a lesson from Emor. And also because uh, this uh, Friday is Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni means the second Pesach. It's exactly one month after the first uh, Pesach. Uh, on the 14th of Nisan is when they brought the Paschal sacrifice. Uh, this 14th of Iyar, exactly a month later, is when somebody who did not have a chance to bring the first one, or even, uh, the interesting thing is, even if one deliberately didn't bring the first one, in other words, they were negligent, or they... Uh, were uh, at fault. And yet, the Torah gives them an opportunity to make up and they can do the second Pesach. So we'll talk about that. And also, of course, then we have... I'm sorry? I'm trying to put myself on mute. Okay, and then you have... Then you have Lag Baomer, of course, which is... Pesach Sheni is on the 14th and Lag Baomer is on the 18th of Iyar. Uh, 
we'll try to cut, we'll try to uh, bring in the a uh, little bit of some of the ideas. But first, let's talk about Amor. Uh, I just want to make sure that uh, you're all seeing the board, right? You see the board over here. Okay, and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more soon. Um, so um, the the word Amor means to say. The power of saying, the power of one's speech is extraordinary. That's a tremendous power that we have. You know, many times we don't realize that words can either do a tremendous amount of damage, can cause a lot of pain, and... Words can also cause and help people and encourage people. And you can do so much good with your speech if you have a positive speech. Sometimes people are sort of stingy on the words they use. So to say thank you, to uh, give someone a yasher koach, tell them, you know, you did well. Uh, give somebody words of strength. It's amazing what words can accomplish. A lot of times, you know, when you think about education, when you talk about students, you talk about children, you, even uh, even adults. A lot of times, you know, you say, you know, I think good about you. I think that you're a nice person. I think that you're a great person. But uh, but you don't say it. You just you just think it in your head. You think about it. You say the person is is good. What do you have to say it? But let's look at the negative. We know that speaking lashon hara uh, bad about someone. So actually, the Talmud says that if you speak bad about someone, you are actually causing damage to three people. Speaking lashon hara causes three people. Actually, more than just damage, it the Gemara says, the Talmud says, it causes death to three people. What? Why is it? Why is it so severe? What is the one doing when he says something bad about someone else? Because, so, you know, a person who gossips, so we understand that they're gossiping. Uh, that's no good. So we understand that that's that's an avera. That's a sin. You know. We also understand that the person that is listening to one who gossips is also a participant because if the listener wouldn't listen, then the teller wouldn't have who to say it to. So essentially, you're both participating in denigrating someone, saying bad about someone, uh, finding fault with somebody. So you're both participant. So that explains the one who speaks and the one who is listening. But the one who it's told about, the person who you're saying the things about, I mean, what what did he do? I mean, presumably we're saying Lashon Hara is also, you know, whether it's true or not true, but what does it have to do when the people say negative things about someone? Presumably they're true even, because otherwise that would be not Lashon Hara, that would be Sheker, that would be falsehood, you're saying lies about someone. But even if you say truth, 
you say something, you saw somebody did something wrong, and you go speak about what you saw, that is also considered to be Lashon Hara, even though it's true. So, what happens when you say about somebody else something negative? What happens in that case is that you bring out the person's negativity into the open. You verbalize it. When you speak about it, you're sort of making it known. When things are obscure, when things are not noticeable, when you don't see them, you don't say them, you can look away from them. Even, so to speak, even Hashem, even God, when you bring out how bad someone is, or you say negative things, you're sort of bringing him into, or her, into close focus. So now, we're paying attention. Did Is this person good? Is he bad? Did he do good? Did he do bad? So when you speak about somebody else in a negative way, so, and you're saying bad about them, you're actually bringing out their negativity. That is about Lashon Hara, when you say bad. But of course, when you are saying good about someone, the same thing is true. If you say good about them, you're bringing out their goodness, you're bringing out their kindness, you're bringing out the positivity, you're bringing it out into the world in an open way. So what that does is that person becomes more favorable in the eyes of Hashem, in the eyes of people, and that helps that person. So just as negative talk can hurt the person who you're talking about, positive talk can help the person you're talking about. But not only does it help them in the sense that you're saying nice things about them and now it's known, but you're actually giving them the strength to go ahead and want to do more good or want to be nice. If you give somebody a compliment, if you give an assignment, let's say to a student, even if they haven't done as well as you would like them to do, the best way to get better from that student is not by telling them, oh, you didn't do good enough, you didn't work hard enough, you didn't uh, try, but to compliment them for what they did, to give them positive. So, basically, the word amor means speak and say, but there's something very important. You see the word amor and the the word amor? Can anybody say what kind of a Hebrew word can we replace the word instead of amor? What other... Ah, Daber. Daber. What's the difference between Daber and the word Amor? Daber is more of a command, and Amor is in a soft spoken way. Excellent. Exactly. Not only does the Torah say that you have to say, you have to be positive, but it says you have to say things softly, you have to say it gently. You have to say it with compassion, with feelings. You have to make the other person feel that they are 
good, and that will cause them to become even more. If you want somebody to accept what you're saying, you try criticizing your spouse, and immediately they reject it. But if you say it in a soft way, and you say it in a way, in a gentle way, then they accept it. If you teach your children, you speak softly and nicely to them. If you speak to your students in a gentle and a soft voice, so what's going to happen is that those children, those students, they are also going to learn to speak to others in a way of amor, in a way of soft, in a gentle, with a soft touch. So what happens is, it's how you speak is the way they will speak. If you speak amor, you speak softly, then you have a good chance that those people that you're trying, first of all, they will listen to you, and second of all, they will also be speaking in a soft way. Now, who are we supposed to speak to like this? What happens, we have somebody who we know has problems. If we have somebody who is rebellious, we have a student that doesn't want to listen, that causes uh, problems in the classroom, or you have a child who doesn't want to follow the rules. So, sometimes you say, well... That one i got to talk tough to. I can't be amor. It can't be softly. The truth of the matter is, even if you think that somebody is not good, doesn't live up to your expectation, you always need to speak softly because we don't really know and we don't really appreciate the struggles that every individual has. People who act out in different ways and behave in different ways, the reason why they're doing that is not because, many times, is not because they want to be uh, doing things the wrong way, but it is just the circumstances. Certain things are nature, certain things are environment, certain things are pressure from peer pressure, various different things, but... We always have to remember the Alter Rebbe in the Tanya writes, if you are a very religious man, and let's say you go into the synagogue and pray three times a day, and you study, and you do everything that's right, don't look down, he says, at a person who you think is not living up, is not as religious as you are, is not as holy as you are, is not as perfect. You look at yourself sometimes, I'm perfect. I do everything the right way. Whatever God wants me to do, I do. But the other person, look at him. They don't do, they don't follow the rules. The Alter Rebbe, that's the founder of Chabad, writes in the Tanya, he says that every individual, and especially people who have the opportunity to study, they need to realize that the other people that are out there have struggles, and they have challenges, and they have difficulties that you are not experiencing. You need to uh, 
humble yourself in front of these people that they may not actually do things in the way that you think that they should be doing, but you don't really appreciate their challenges, their struggles, what they have. And further, the he writes in the Tanya, he says, you know, if you would have some of their challenges, we don't know how you would fear. You may have not even been doing as much as they're doing. So basically you can't judge anybody. So therefore, the Rebbe says, Amor, you got to speak to everyone, whether you think of them positively or you think of them that they don't live up. That's not true. You got to speak to them positively. Which is also tied in with the idea of Lagba Omer. We know that during the time of Sefirah to Omer, um, we know it was also a very difficult time for the uh, students of Rabbi Akiva. They were great, learned scholars, Talmidei Chachamim. They were righteous, they were tzaddikim, they were great people. And yet, we know that many of them, as much as 24,000, they died during this period of time. That's why it's a time of mourning. We don't do weddings. We don't do other celebrations. And unfortunately, we're presently in a pretty uh, difficult stage as well. But the Talmud says, what happened? Why did so many of them pass away? And the Talmud says, because they weren't respectful one to another. They didn't respect each other. Now, we know that they were righteous people. It's not like they didn't respect and they were nasty to each other. But notwithstanding all their reasoning and their, in their minds, legitimate excuses for not honoring the other person because they believed that they understand the rabbi better, that they knew what their teacher wants better than the other person, that was not acceptable, the fact that they weren't giving respect to one another. Ultimately, one needs to be able to be so devoted to the rabbi, to his teacher, to Rabbi Akiva, and to be able to tolerate someone else's opinion who doesn't agree with you. To be able, we're not saying that you must accept the other one's opinion, but you must be respectful. The Talmud says, They weren't respectful to each other. Giving respect to the other person means that you are tolerating them and that you realize that there can be somebody else can have a different opinion than you and you need not degrade the other person. You must honor the other person. That is all part of the of the amor, of saying nice things, being gentle, finding an excuse, not judging anyone, not behaving in a way that brings uh, hurt, pain to another person, but to behave in a respectful way. But this is 
all, Amor means say. We're talking about the future. The future, go ahead. But we are here, we're human beings, right? And human beings make mistakes. You know, we do make a lot of mistakes. A lot of times, maybe we say things out of our mouth that later on we're not happy with them or what we said. Maybe we say to ourselves, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. That was actually um, not nice, what I said. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. So that's why we also have Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni tells us that, you know, maybe you missed, you made a mistake, but you can always make up. Always have another opportunity to go ahead and you can go ahead and if there is somebody over there that you weren't so nice to, you didn't say nice things to them, you still have the opportunity. You have the opportunity. You can always make up. You know, a lot of times people think, you know, too late for me. You know, there is, I'm, I am who I am and nothing is going to really change. There's an interesting uh, Talmud in the Talmud in Chagiga. It tells us about a great sage. His name was Elisha ben Avuya. Uh, he actually turned away from Judaism. Matter of fact, it says that there were four people that entered into the Pardis, they entered into the orchard. And one of them was Elisha ben Avuya. This was one of the rabbis. But he came out of there and he actually left the religion. It is said that he did so many sins, that he heard a voice from the heavens. I guess he was still spiritual enough to be able to hear this voice. And the voice says, everybody can repent. Besides, Acher, they called him, you know, they changed his name. Once he left uh, the religion, they called him Acher, the other one. He was a, a, great, a great sage. He was a great, uh, uh, he was a teacher. Matter of fact, it was Rabbi Meir, one of the great rabbis. And there's a lot of stories in the Talmud, like on Yom Kippur, uh, Rabbi Meir was walking next to him and he was teaching him uh, a lot of Torah. And then finally he says to Rabbi Meir, well, you can't walk any further because we came to the boundary, the Tchum, which you're not allowed to walk. And Rabbi Meir says to him, but what about you, Rabbi? But anyways, he said, you know, I'm, I'm lost. It's too lost, too late for me. And um, he heard, a, there's a voice that came out that he heard that says, Everybody can repent besides Acher, besides Elisha ben He can't repent. He's gone too far. So the question is asked, so how could we blame him if Hashem said, the voice said, came out from the heavens, said that he can't repent? So it doesn't seem like we can have any complaints to him for not repenting. Uh, so one of the explanations is even if we have a lot of even if we have a hard time but if he insisted 
and he pushed, even he would be able to to come back. So basically, the meaning of this is that we all, Pesach Sheni tells us, we all have a second chance, no matter what, where, how, we all have a second chance. Even if we were guilty, and even if Hashem says you can't repent, no, we can still repent. And he, uh, there is a, uh, there's an interesting statement in the, um, in our sages, it says like this, when you come to somebody else's home, uh, you have to do whatever he tells you to do. In other words, if you're a guest in somebody's house, you have to do. But with the exceptions, if he tells you to leave, then you don't have to do that. It's a, it's a, uh, a difficult passage, exactly what it means. Whatever he tells you to do, listen to them. But if he tells you to leave, then don't listen to him. So uh, this is metaphorically said with regards to Hashem. Hashem is our the master. Whatever Hashem tells us to do, we have to listen to Him. But if Hashem tells you leave, which means I don't want anything to do with you anymore, then don't listen to Hashem. If Hashem says you're lost, that like by Elisha ben Avuya, He says, everybody can do Teshuvah, you can't do Teshuvah, don't listen that is one point. You don't listen to Hashem. You have to push. Um, which, by the way, uh, Hashem never tells us. This is an exception. Hashem actually, as we learn the Tanya, Hashem actually loves us, hugs us, kisses us. He, he, he. If we only appreciate, you know, a lot of times we don't appreciate the love that the other person has to us, we need to sort of stop and think. If we get angry or we get upset about something, then you have to stop and think and say to yourself, hey, wait a minute. Uh, why am I getting angry at this person? This person has done so much for me, has been there for me in all situations. How could I get upset with that person? But it takes that moment of reflection to be able to come back and realize that that person is not your enemy. That person doesn't isn't looking to harm you. You need to stop for a second. Uh, if we stop it for a second and think about Hashem's love for us all the time, He's there for us in so many different ways. He's good to us, and He's uh, that that will bring out a feeling in your heart because a person responds to somebody who loves them with love in return. It's only a matter of thinking and appreciating and reflecting and being able to see the love of the other person. So that was an exception over here about uh, this Alicia Ben Avuya that he, um, he he didn't have the opportunity but he also had the opportunity but we can always make up. I want to read about another verse over here, in the verse, and do the Rashi over here, the Rashi's commentary, another point. So what does the first verse read? And the Lord says to Moses, speak to the Kahanim, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, 
Let none of you defile himself for a dead person among his people. I mean, if you notice in the cemetery, they have uh, sometimes the uh, Kohen will stay outside by the fence, not go inside if there's a Kohen over there. A Kohen is not allowed to defile himself to a dead body. A Kohen is a servant of God. A Kohen works in the temple. His job is to be involved with the holiness of the temple, with the sacrifices, with the uh, spirituality, with various uh, holy matters. So it's not fit for a Kohen to defile himself and come in contact with a corpse, because a corpse gives off defilement, makes a person tamay, makes him defiled, and the person should not be there, but should not, the Kohen should not do this. So the Torah says, and the Lord says to Moses, this is the first verse in our portion, speak to the Kahanim, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, let none of you defile himself for a dead person. Now, what is these three words? Among his people. What does it mean, among his people? What does that mean? So, Rashi comments over here. Lo among his people. Let none of you, this is Rashi's comment, let none of you defile himself for a dead person among his people. So, Rashi says, while the dead person is among his people, and therefore has people non-Kahanim to bury him. So there is somebody to take care of him. This comes to exclude from the prohibition a Kohen who comes across a mace mitzvah. A mace mitzvah means a dead person for whom no one is in calling distance to attend to his burial, and thus it is incumbent for people to attend to him. Basically, we're saying, the Torah says is amongst his people is because the Torah is trying to tell us sometimes a Kohen can and should defile himself. If you find a dead corpse in the street, there is nobody to take care of them. Do you know now, unfortunately, with the pandemic, with all these problems we're having, so in many cases, there are people that don't have anybody to bury them. Those people that don't have anybody to bury them are called a mace mitzvah. They are dead of a mitzvah, which means nobody is there to attend. My father, of blessed memory, used to tell me during the World War II, they were in, in Russia. At that time, people were dying like flies. You know, the whole street was full with people. And there was nobody to attend them, nobody even to bury them, nobody to give them their last respects. It was just horrible. My father told me that he took it upon himself that the Jewish people, at least that he knew that the Jewish people that, that died, at least they would get their uh, Jewish burial. They would be buried wherever they found a spot that they would bury them. Those are called mace mitzvah. Mitzvah, mace who nobody attends to. So what are we saying over here? You might be a Kohen, you might be very holy, you might be very spiritual, but you need to know that if there is a corpse out there, 
which nobody's taken care of, you must defile yourself, leave your holiness. You know, in a way, a Kohen represents people who are more, I guess, involved in spirituality. You have teachers, you have uh, rabbis, you have uh, distinguished people. They feel like the Kohanim. And then sometimes you have to deal with things that are sort of beneath them. You know, they say, am I going to go and deal with somebody who's on drugs? Am I going to deal with people that have addictions? I don't want to defile myself. I'm a Kohen. I'm on a higher level. I want to stay pure. And I don't want to get involved with anything that is going to touch me, that is going to cause me to lose my level. Well, if there's other people that can deal with them, that may be okay. But if there's nobody else to take care of it, then it's your responsibility. It doesn't matter that you're a Kohen. You have to give up your learning, you have to give up your shul, you have to give up your holiness, and you got to tend to the emergency, the emergency, the calling that is out there. There are so many kids. I just lost everybody. All the festivals are mentioned in this Parsha. We go through the festivals. And, you know, I found an interesting... Um, the Board of the Rebbe, you know, it talks about the various different festivals. And then... Uh, actually, in today's Parsha, it also talks about the counting of the Omer. It says about counting of the Omer. Uh, are you able? You're, are you able to see another you know, share? I want to just show you something. The phone just died. I don't know. I know. I saw you left. No, the phone went. You see? Um, look over here. Uh, over here, this is talks about the pasuk talks about Svirat Omer. So it says Usfartem. Lachem mimacharat hashabbat. What does that mean? You shall count. Look, look over here. We have And you shall count for yourself from the morrow of the rest day. What is meaning hashabbat? From Shabbos. Svartem lachem. You shall count for yourself from the morrow of the rest day. Which rest day are we talking about over here? How come everybody's muted or? Oh, no. yeah. Yes, it is definitely talking Shabbos. It's talking about Shabbos? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so when you, you remember when we counted uh, the Svirat Omer, when we start counting? We, the second day of Passover. Uh, yeah. Second day of Passover. Now, remember, second day of Passover is only over here in Chutzlaretz, outside of Israel. In Israel, there's only one day Passover, right? The Torah talks about power. So what does Mimacharat HaShabbat mean? Macharat HaShabbat means the day after Passover. Here, look in here. Look at the Rashi. From the morrow of the rest day, on the day after the first holy day of Passover. This is... This was, in, in, in the times of the Talmud, this was a whole debate. 
about what is the meaning of this verse over here. Does Shabbat mean uh, the Sabbath, the regular Sabbath, the seventh day? Or Shabbat means the day of rest, which means Pesach, the first day of Passover. Now, uh, we don't find usually uh, a holiday be called Shabbat. Usually it's called Chag, Yom Tov. It's called uh, Moed, but it's not called Shabbat. Over here it's different. Over here it's called the Shabbat. And um, there is something actually special in those years. We don't have it this year. But in some years, Passover is on, the first day of Passover, and the Passover is on Shabbat. So then you actually start counting it on the day after Shabbat and the day after Passover. So you have both together. But what is the main purpose of counting of the Omer? Of the counting of the Omer? The seven weeks that led up from the time they left Egypt until they came to receiving the Torah, they went through seven weeks. And when we do the Omer, it sort of gives us a chance to sort of refine the seven different characteristics that uh, dominate us. And within each characteristic itself, the Chesed Shebe Chesed and the Gevura Shebe Chesed and so on, it gives us an opportunity. When the Jewish people left Egypt, they sort of ran away because they weren't ready really because they didn't have an experience of a people, of a leadership, of uh, the strength. They were enslaved. They were made to work hard. And they didn't have really an opportunity to, uh, to grow in their spirituality, to grow in their level. So when they went out of Mitzrayim, it says, Kibarachaam, the people ran away. You know, sometimes you find yourself in a situation, it's so dangerous, you got to run. You know, you can't, you can't go slowly. You have to run away. Why? You know, people that, you know, have addictions, they have to run totally away on the other side. They can't even allow themselves a little bit because if they allow themselves a little bit, they fail. They go more than... They can't control. So therefore, some things you got to run away from. If you know that this is something, a challenge, you got to run totally away from. But after you run away, that's going away from the negative, from things that may catch up with you. But how do you elevate yourself? How do you go higher? That you require... Uh, refinement. That takes time. So the seven weeks before the Jews can receive the Torah, they were refining themselves, though they were getting each day on a higher level and working with themselves to reach the spiritual level until they'll be able, prepared to receive the Torah. The word usafartem, see, usafartem means you shall count, but usafartem means also comes from the language of Evan Sapir, which means a precious stone, which means a shining and a uh, um, refinement. Usfartem lochem. Basically, it means that you got to refine the lochem. You got to refine yourself, and you have to refine yourself, and you get the strength 
Mimacharat HaShabbat, from after Shabbos. What does it mean? Shabbat represents the seven days of the week, and the seventh day is Shabbat. But then there is after Shabbat, which means which is higher than Shabbat. We all have a connection to the infinite. We have a connection to Hashem, which is higher than the seven days of the week. That is referred to in the Hasidus, Memacharat HaShabbat, from after Shabbos, from a place which is higher. We are able to sort of get down to some of the most uh, difficult places in ourselves, which are very hard to reach. But we have the uh, opportunity and we have the responsibility to go ahead, refine ourselves, to become. And we have Hashem's help for that. Hashem gives us the strength and we end up with Shava Shabbatot Mimoti Yana. It'll be whole. You make yourself whole. You make yourself complete. You work with yourself. And you become a better and a more wholesome person. And then you're ready to receive the Torah. Because now you're not running away anymore. You ran away. But now you've actually refined and you've reached various different levels of holiness. And then another thought over here, I just wanted to mention a few thoughts, but more quick thoughts over here. Here the Torah tells us about all the holidays, and then the Torah puts in, in the middle, the Torah puts in, in the middle, about, it says, the huh? Pasuk says over there, in the middle of the holidays, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not completely remove the corner of your field during your harvesting and you shall not gather up the gleanings of your harvest rather you shall leave these for the poor person and for the stranger I am the Lord your God that's the verse Rashi asks Rashi Aravavide the son of Jesus says why does scripture place this passage in the very middle of the laws regarding the festival with path, Passover and Atzeret Shavuos on one side, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the festival Sukkot on the other side, okay, on the other, to teach you that whoever gives the corners to the poor in the Peah, forgotten sheaves and shikha in appropriate manner, is deemed as if he built the holy temple and offered up his sacrifice within it. So, basically, the Torah is trying to tell us, yes, there's one way of serving Hashem in the temple by bringing all the sacrifices, but what do we do? We don't have sacrifices today. He says, well, if you help the poor, and you give them, that is considered, Hashem considers that, that you built a temple, and you offered up sacrifices within it. Rebbe makes an interesting point, and he says, so how come the Torah chose to tell us these three types of charities? It tells you about what? The corner. You have to leave the corner of the field. It talks about forgotten sheaves. 
and it talks about uh, uh, leket left over on the on the trees, the uh, little, the small pieces. Why why doesn't the Torah say tzedakah? Any tzedakah? Why this tzedakah? And the Rebbe says something very interesting that I find very interesting. He says that you know, anytime you give tzedakah, you may get something in return for it. There's always a little bit of a return. Like, for example, uh, tzedakah, if you choose to give one person, a poor person, that poor person may hold it as a favor to you, so then he'll return a favor to you if you gave it to them. In other words, certain tzedakah, you still have control. You still, there's some benefit for you. You know, if you give, you get a big sign up on the on the building with your name on it, and, you know, so you gave tzedakah, but you got something in return for it. But the, these three charities, you leave in the field. You have no choice. You can't pick which poor person gets it. You can't get anything in return. In order for it to really be considered to be like building the Beis Hamikdash, it has to be in a way which is pure and holy and only a gift given away. So, uh, like everything else we do, it's maybe not so important how much, but how we do it. That we do it with the right kavana, we do it with the right intention, we give with our heart, we give with our soul, we give with our full, full giving. And we mean it. Even if it's small, it may be of great value. So therefore, the leket, shikhan, peya, whatever is in your field, but that is, you're not in charge. You give it over, Shem says, leave the field, whoever's going to come and get it, let them come and get it. Okay, so that's, we talked about speaking nicely, we talked about emor today, about speaking nicely, about encouraging, we talked about not judging people, we talked about uplifting people, giving people courage, we talked about knowing that we have to honor and respect each other, not, uh, not to disrespect, we talked about always there's another chance, we should go back and, 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 and take other opportunities. Okay, and we'll leave with this, but 